again, everyone, and from the beautiful and palatial UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios, glad to have you along tonight. I am Dave Mitchell, and welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Boy, it has been a very entertaining week as we're getting ready for another one to start this weekend. Of course, you've got the uh, golf tournament that Tiger Woods is involved in. The U.S. Open is going to be beginning next week. And, of course, Maria Sharapova is out of that tournament already after all the talk that she was going to change her name to Sugarpova for the tournament. Well, it turns out she's not even going to be Sharapova. She's Gonapova. She's not going to be playing in the tournament. Tiger Woods had an outstanding round today at the golf tournament. We'll be bringing that up just a little bit later on. And, of course, the NFL exhibition season will continue tonight. We're going to be hitting the controversies around the NFL that are going along, along with what you can bring into the stadium. That's what's in the forefront this evening. We're going to take a look at Notre Dame football for the upcoming year and the ACC, along with the non-BCS conferences. Ryan Dempster was suspended for plunking A-Rod and, of course, Ichiro. Plus, we're going to have a conversation with former Ohio State running back Maurice Claret. All that on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. But you can join us here on the show just simply by tuning into the uh, Twitterverse. You can join us here on Twitter at OHBBCoHost, or you can send us an email at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Well, 4,000 hits. That's where Ichiro is at. In the first inning of Wednesday night's Blue Jays-Yankees game, Yankee outfielder Ichiro Suzuki grounded a single through the left side of the infield and in doing so, notched his 4,000th career hit across the U.S. and Japanese major leagues. Of course, it was a big deal for the crowd there at Yankee Stadium. Ichiro had 1,278 hits in Japan and currently has 2,722 hits in the major leagues and counting here. Now, that's a staggering accomplishment. As a matter of fact, in the last 13 years of Ichiro's career, he's got the most hits ever of anybody in Major League Baseball. There are only other two other players who have reached the 4,000-hit mark in Major League history, and, of course, those two players are Ty Cobb and Pete Rose. Pete Rose, the all-time hits leader. And according to various sources, only five players have had 4,000 hits in the majors and minors combined. Rose, Cobb, Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, and a man called Jigger Stats. He's a little-known player because he had 3,356 of his hits, and they were in the old Pacific Coast League. Well, there's been a story revolving around Major League Baseball simply because Ichiro has managed to make this 4,000-hit plateau, and it's a Pat Gillick story. When he first signed on with the Seattle Mariners, Pat Gillick was the general manager, and he relayed a story that when they signed on, Ichiro and his wife had no kids at the time. And Ichiro's wife said that she wanted a three-bedroom apartment, and she asked the traveling secretary of the Seattle Mariners to find them a three-bedroom apartment so that they could move into it on the way over to the United States. While the traveling secretary told Pat Gillick this, and Gillick said, well, they only need really a two-bedroom apartment. It would save them some money. So he called Mrs. Suzuki and told her, you know, a two-bedroom apartment would probably do. 
she emphatically told Pat Gillick, no. They wanted a three-bedroom apartment because they wanted one bedroom for her and Ichiro. They wanted another bedroom for any guests that they were going to have coming over from Japan so that they could stay with them. And the third bedroom was used so Ichiro could practice his swing. Dedication by the man from Japan. Now, you know, he started playing... Japanese baseball when he was 20. And really, I think you could look at Japanese baseball and correlate it with AAA baseball that we have here. Not trying to diminish what he did with the Japanese leagues, but they really only play about 120 games schedule. And when he first came to the United States, remember, when he started playing Major League Baseball, it was year two or three, he had 240 hits in one season. That's unbelievable. Ichiro is just an outstanding hitter, and if he actually may have started playing baseball at age 21 or 22 here in the States, he may be able to challenge Pete Rose's all-time hit record, but he's not going to. He does have 4,000 hits. Congratulations to Ichiro. That is just an outstanding accomplishment for the man from Japan. Well, and I don't want to get into A-Rod tonight, but Ryan Dempster... I think a lot was made about nothing in Saturday's game or Sunday night's game between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Of course, anytime those two teams play, it's always big news around Major League Baseball. And, of course, ESPN makes it bigger than life. Well, Ryan Dempster was suspended for five games because he hit Alex Rodriguez in the first at bat at Fenway Park. And, of course, he drew rave reviews and a standing ovation from the crowd for hitting A-Rod. Well, it was on the fourth pitch of the night that he had thrown to A-Rod. The first pitch was inside, okay. The next two pitches were inside also, but they weren't anywhere near A-Rod, although the media made a big deal about it. And then the fourth pitcher, yeah, he did plunk him. Yahoo Sports writer Jeff Passan thinks baseball made the right decision in suspending Ryan Dempster, but I'm going to explain after you hear what Passon says why the suspension is not that big a deal. Ryan Dempster tried to hit Alex Rodriguez with the pitch. Now, maybe Brian Onora, the umpire, didn't throw him out, and maybe Alex Rodriguez later hit a home run off Ryan Dempster, but ultimately, I think everybody there and everybody involved understood what Ryan Dempster was trying to do. If you go back and look earlier this season, Ben Zobris was hit by Rick Porcello. Porcello wasn't tossed out of the game, did get a five-game suspension. On the other hand, Cole Hamels has gotten tossed in the past for hitting a player and not gotten a suspension. So Major League Baseball did the right thing by sending a message that Alex Rodriguez is not going to be picked on. Just because everybody delighted in seeing him being hit doesn't mean that pitchers have the license to go out there and have open season on him. Poor Alex. We'd hate to see this guy be picked on. Matter of fact, A-Rod came out yesterday and said that he was no longer going to talk about the biogenesis situation or his suspension until the appeal was over with because he wants to focus on the pennant race that the Yankees are involved in. Well, Passon is right. Major League Baseball had to do something. But here's why it's not that big a deal. He definitely got off easy because here's what's going on. This suspension is only five games. Now, the Red Sox have two off days coming up, which means they only need a four-man rotation. They've got off days today 
and Monday the 26th. So the team's going to be able to use that four-man rotation, and they're not going to need Dempster until he returns on August 27th next Tuesday. So you look at the fact that he was suspended on Tuesday, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and really Monday if they wanted to do it six days. But nonetheless, here you go. He's going to be able to pitch on the 27th. Now, he also gets paid because this is a suspension that happened because of something on the field. He gets paid. So he doesn't lose any salary. But Major League Baseball did fine him $2,500. Whoopee. Joe Girardi, the Yankee manager, who was ejected from the game by home plate umpire Brian Onora, was fined $5,000. So explain this to me. Okay? Girardi, sticking up for his player, even though it was A-Rod, is fined more than Ryan Dempster, who hit A-Rod. And this is Major League Justice? It's no wonder Joe Torrey, who's the vice president of baseball operations and is the man who deals the punishment out, said last week the baseball has to earn the trust back from the fans. Now, he was talking about the steroid scandal. I'm talking about this incident. And also remember that in punishing Dempster, Major League Baseball and Joe Torre basically would be saying, hey, we're backing A-Rod in this situation. And A-Rod is not exactly Major League Baseball's best friend right now. And remember when Joe Torre was manager of the Yankees, A-Rod also was not Torrey's most favorite player. So this is really a screwy situation that Dempster put not only baseball in, but Joe Torrey in. Nonetheless, that's what's going on in the world of Major League Baseball. Well, the Little League World Series is going on, too, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And what a situation this is. I'll tell you what, I love watching the Little League Baseball World Series because it really is fun to watch these kids give everything they've got. The raw emotion that you see on the Little League Baseball field. And when you look at this, just look at the way that Little League Baseball handles disputes between the umpires and the managers. There's no arguing. If the managers want to come out and dispute a call, they just go simply behind home plate, look at it on the replay. It takes all of about 30 seconds, and it's over. In the NFL, you don't get that. And in Major League Baseball next year, yeah, you're not going to get that either. You're going to have the challenge system. So just keep an eye on the Little League World Series. Remember, the championship game is this Sunday, and that is going to be fun to watch just like it is every year. Well, let's move into the controversy that is the NFL, the National Football League, which, again, this weekend is being proven that it is the no-fun league. Bears rookie linebacker John Bostic. Have you heard about this story? He was fined $21,000 for his hit against Chargers wide receiver Mike Willie last weekend. And nobody can tell him why. The NFL called Willie a defenseless receiver, even though everyone, including the NFL, agrees he took two steps before being hit. NFL.com confirmed Lance Briggs' tweet on Tuesday saying Bostic was specifically fined for lowering his head on a defenseless player's body. 
I'll give them the lowering of the head. Okay, maybe so. But he didn't hit him with the crown of the helmet. Now, here's the weird part of the story. The NFL has a clip of Bostick's hit on the league's official website. And then the caption below the clip, the hit is referred to as a spectacular one. The NFL also used the word spectacular in the headline. The fine may not seem like a big one, but it is to Bostick because, get this, as a rookie, he's pulling in only $405,000 in base salary this year. But he doesn't get that salary unless he makes the team, and that's not going to be announced until the week after next. So all he is getting as a rookie is $750 per game plus per diem when the team goes on the road. So, he's actually in arrears to the NFL right now. Bostic can appeal the fine, and if he does, he'll probably ask the league why they were fining him in the first place if he thought that hit was so spectacular. Now, let's move on to another situation. This is safety DJ Swearinger of Houston, and he's taken quite a bit of hit heat this week on the hit that he made, which shredded the knee of Miami Dolphins tight end Dustin Keller. Swearinger insists that he was playing according to league rules that mandate avoiding dangerous blows to the head. Now, Atlanta Falcons tight end Tony Gonzalez said Swearinger's hit was a cheap shot and he would rather get hit in the head than the knees. Dolphins wide receiver Brian Hartline and right tackle Tyson Clabo were among those critical of Swearinger. So what the NFL has done, simply by instituting fines for hits on defenseless receivers, hits above the shoulder, they have now made the defensive backs in the NFL start to go low and hit the receivers, which means that the increase is going to happen to knee injuries, which will take longer to recuperate from than the head injury. Yes, I understand trying to be safer. Yes, I understand trying to institute rules that will decrease head injuries. Yes, I understand that the NFL is being sued by several players because of concussions that these players have received throughout the years. Still, when you look at this entire situation, you cannot legislate, again, hitting out of the game of football. Football is a game of hitting. John Bostic proves it. DJ Swearinger proves it. Now Roger Goodell has to admit it. And that's where the problem is going to be. Also, the NFL and the NFL Players Association have finalized an agreement on a six-game suspension for Denver Broncos linebacker Von Miller for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Miller was nearly suspended for a full season by the NFL and then for eight games of a source told Fox Sports, but the sides negotiated a settlement in the recent days. Fox Sports announcer Mike Garofalo explains 
what happened in this settlement. This was a first violation as far as the suspensions are concerned. But during the appeals process, according to a source, it was learned that there were further violations that allowed for the suspension to be more. Now, based on that information, we can surmise that it was viewed that Miller compromised the test. That's where the commissioner can come in and levy further discipline above the standard suspension schedule. So that's what happened. And he could have been suspended for up to a year. That was the talk at one point. Gee, does that sound familiar? A player interfering with an investigation and maybe having a little bit to do with the testing. Doesn't that sound like a player in New York City, Major League Baseball? Just got hit with a pitch on Sunday night that caused a suspension to a pitcher. But I don't want to get into that situation. Also, Von Miller's got other problems. If you haven't heard about this, he is not a suspect but a prime witness in a murder investigation. And he could be the prime witness for that. Just an unbelievable situation that Von Miller is going to. But it's hard to believe someone tampering with a test, compromising an investigation... And in case you missed it today, and again, I said that we wouldn't be talking a lot about this uh, Angel Hernandez uh, situation, uh, but in this case, we are. He was found, he was indicted earlier today for first-degree murder. And, of course, earlier this week, they discovered that he also, they found the gun that supposedly is involved with a double homicide earlier in or, or later in 2012 just a few months ago that supposedly has something to do with the murders that happened in Connecticut so uh, he has been indicted on first degree murder in that situation one new NFL rule is not going over well and it really has nothing to do with the action on the field the league has instituted a new policy on what type of bags fans can bring into the stadiums on games day and this is really becoming a sticking point with women because it's limiting them to small clutch bags approximately the size of a hand with or without a handle or strap. Now here's what's allowed. Bags that are clear plastic, vinyl, or PVC, and they don't ex exceed 12 inches by 6 inches by 12 inches. Now official NFL team logo clear plastic tote bags will be available through club merchandise outlets, of course. One gallon clear plastic freezer bags like a Ziploc bag or similar are allowed. Small clutch bags approximately the size of your hand with or without a handle or strap can be taken into the stadium with one of the clear plastic bags. And an exception will be made for medically necessary items after proper inspection at the gate designated for this purpose. Now, the reason that this is causing such a turmoil is simply because of the fact that if you bring in a purse or a backpack, they take them and you are not allowed to get them back. They basically throw them away. And it's got several people extremely upset. In matter of fact, let's take a look at some of the comments here that I saw on the internet. One person said, if women can't carry purses, Men should not be allowed to wear pants since they keep all their stuff in them. Allow them to wear clean plastic pants if they insist. Here's another comment. They figure if you have a smaller bag, then you won't be able to carry anything in to eat or drink. It's all about the money they expect you to buy from them, which is probably 
pretty similar to what the NFL is thinking. They don't want anybody bringing anything from the outside, and that way they have the opportunity to sell you the perked-up prices, like $7 for a beer, $6 for a hot dog, or, of course, umbrellas aren't allowed either, so if you get an opportunity to buy an umbrella at the gift store, that's something you can do too. Here's another thing that happened in the NFL, and all this is just happening here lately. Arizona Cardinals season ticket holder John Coulter wanted to take a picture while at Saturday's Cowboys-Cardinals preseason game, but there was a problem. He had a beer in one hand, so what did he do? He turned to his 15-year-old son to hold his beer for a second while he snapped the shot. Now, that sounds like just anything that anyone would do, right? Well, in Arizona, don't do that because a few minutes later, Coulter and his son were escorted out of the stadium by two undercover officers with the Arizona Department of Liquor who said that what Coulter did was illegal. Coulter told USA Today Sports, We just watched the opening kickoff and I wanted to take a quick picture. I literally handed my son the cup and said, Hold this. I reached into my pocket, grabbed my cell phone, put it on camera mode, and took a picture. That's when the undercover officers approached Coulter and said he could be arrested. Now, an officer told USA Today Sports that Coulter was lucky he wasn't arrested for having his son hold the beer. The officer said providing alcohol to an underage person or an underage person in possession of alcohol is a Class 1 misdemeanor, said Sergeant Wesley Cool of the Arizona Department of Liquor License and Control. The consequences could be up to, and this is at the maximum, two years in jail, a $2,500 fine, and three years probation for 30 seconds of handling a beer cup while your father is taking a picture. Well, there are 10 former NFL players, including five Hall of Famers, that are asking the NFL and its production arm to pay up. On Tuesday, a group that includes Curly Culp and John Riggins filed a class action suit in U.S. District Court in New Jersey to reclaim payment of the use of their names, images, and likenesses from film footage they say was used on the NFL Network to promote the league without the ex-player's consent. The other Hall of Famers suing are Dave Casper, Tom Mack, and Ron Yeri. NFL Films has never obtained authorization from the retired players to use their images to be as NFL Films puts it, the backbone of the NFL network, according to the 81-page filing obtained by the Associated Press. The complaint against the NFL and NFL Productions notes that in 1993, all began to include clauses that granted the NFL authority to use the names, images, and likenesses of players to publicize and promote the league. They claim it was never included with the players in the suit. The filing also contends that the league and NFL productions violated state laws regarding unfair competition and rights of publicity. So it's not been a good week for the NFL. But then again, it hasn't really been a good week for college football either. Little has been heard lately regarding Johnny Manziel and the NCAA. Will he play or won't he play? That's been the question going on now for the past couple of weeks. It's doubtful anything is going to be done to the Heisman Trophy winner, and the NCAA may even drag its feet just long enough for it to last the season. Well, Fox Sports crew, starting with Eddie George, thinks Menzel's season 
will be interesting. Go back to last season. He was facing eligibility issues then. He dealt with it in the right way. He won a high trophy. It just seems like he's the player, type of player that can deal with adversity and go out there and play lights out. He can go out there, party all week long. The kid is phenomenal. And I was at the Manning camp when he was down there, had a good time, and for whatever reasons he left. He's a guy that can go on the field and make it happen on the field. Off the field, I mean, he's living the life. I get it. I understand it. There's nothing wrong with living that way. But on the field, he, he, he commands the presence, and he's a great player. But let's go on the field. And let me tell you exactly the way this season is going to go. It's going to be disappointing, not only for Johnny Manziel, but for Texas A&M. And here's the reason why. For Texas A&M, the only way to uh, catapult themselves past what they did a year ago and that Cotton Bowl is to win the SEC. That means they got to win the West. they got to beat Alabama. He would have to win the Heisman Trophy again. He's not going to do that, and they're not going to beat they Alabama. Saw, you're not well, talking about Alabama. Disappointing. You're talking about Texas A&M. It's a different program, a proud one, but a different one. No player in the moment could be bigger than their program at Alabama, but it's happening right now at A&M because it's Texas A&M. If he has another 1,000 yards rushing and another 3,000 yards passing and just goes to New York for the ceremony, this is a combustible season. He's going to light on fire. Everybody's going to love him and show him the affection because he makes exciting plays just like RG3. The guy is a magician. He's a pirate out there. If he gets on the field, it's going to be great. He held the adversity with no expectations. I mean, there are so many expectations now for him going into this season. And to me, you know, we talk about him being so young and say, oh, he's a freshman. He's only whatever age. He's going to make he's going to be 21 in December. His maturity level is almost non-existent. But on the field, and he's an absolute monster. And here's another problem that the NCAA is seeing. Now, they cleared this up, but it took them 24 hours. CBS News' Michelle Miller reported that the NCAA originally ruled that Stephen Rhodes, remember that name? had to forfeit two years of eligibility and take a mandatory redshirt year for his first season playing at Middle Tennessee State because he participated in a military-only recreational football league at a military base in 2012. On Sunday, Rhodes explained to school officials that the league did not qualify as an organized competition, although the NCAA's Rules state that organized competition includes uniform, referees, and keeping score. Now, in any intramural game that you go to on a college campus, most of the players have the same t-shirts. That qualifies for the NCAA rule. They have a couple of ding-dongs that are playing referee. That also qualifies under the NCAA rule. And who doesn't keep score? Even t-ball leagues, the parents say... They don't keep score. The players keep score. So Middle, Middle Tennessee State immediately launched an appeal, which normally takes several weeks. But Rhodes' story hit the social media, and the users from around the world immediately blasted the NCAA for blocking a Marine from playing college football. So what happened? Less than 24 hours after the news broke, Stephen Rhodes won his battle with the NCAA, and they decided to allow him eligibility. Not only did they allow him eligibility, but they said he would have all four years able to play at, Minnesota, at Middle Tennessee State. Now, let's move to basketball because it's another problem that the NCAA had this week. Almost three months before 
the college basketball season tips off. Rutgers is already dealing with a controversial call. The Scholar Knights reportedly lost the services of a key transfer due to a decision by the NCAA that sparked outrage also on social media. David Briggs of Yahoo Sports reports on what happened. The NCAA is at it again, denying a hardship waiver to Rutgers basketball transfer Kerwin Okoro. Okoro lost his father and brother in a span of just over two months. He wanted to play basketball closer to home, help his family heal. This follows a pattern by the NCAA, most recently in the case of Middle Tennessee football player Stephen Rhodes, who was denied the chance initially to play football right away because, of course, he played in a rec league while serving his country in the Marine Corps. They relented to public pressure and gave Rhodes a shot. Before that, the NCAA was selling Johnny Manziel and Jadavian Clowney jerseys, profiting directly off of their likeness before the Twitter sphere blew up and the NCAA pulled the jerseys. Is it too much to ask of the NCAA to show a little leadership and like the very players and coaches that represent them, do the right thing the first time around? We hope they reconsider the situation of Kerwin Okoro and grant that waiver. But again, a little leadership wouldn't hurt. Leadership? The only time the NCAA shows leadership is when they're going to the bank. But Okoro is a Bronx native. He had his father die in December from a stroke at the age of 72. And then his brother died from colon cancer in February at the age of 28. Neither Rutgers nor Okoro released a statement confirming the report, but the 6'5 sophomore had this to say on Twitter on Tuesday, I'll make the wise decision of staying off social networks today. If I express my feelings right now, I might just say the wrong thing. There is never a wrong thing to say about the NCAA. Well, it's always fun to hear what Charles Barkley has to say. You know Charles is no holds barred. He'll always tell you what he's thinking, and he gives his thoughts on the NCAA rule that forces former Marine Stephen Rhodes to redshirt his freshman year over intramural games he played in a military recreational football league, and just what he would do if he ran the NCAA. Well, first of all, I would put together a, a, a small committee, probably three or four guys, who could make a decision like within a day. If it, when, I, when I saw that story, I thought it was like this is a joke. It's got to be a joke, right? I will put together. You know, they they, they they drag their feet, and some of these investigations go on like months and months and months. You know, I put together a legit group. First of all, I throw out all the NCAA rules to start over. I mean, because you can't use archaic rules because the game has changed. You know, when they put that start putting that stuff together, these guys were. You know, the scholarships are worth about $10,000, well, probably $5,000 a year. So, but it's so much money. You've got to change the rules with the times. I mean, you've got to change the rules. But I would uh, call Mark Emmett or anybody and say, within five minutes, hey, let that kid play. I mean, this is, this, is, this is really silly, to be honest with you. I mean, so, you know, you'd look at, and, uh, you know, I've been paying attention to the Johnny Manziel thing, and, you know, I understand why Des Bryant got pissed. You know, he lost the whole season just because he lied for having lunch with Deion Sanders. You got the kid at Georgia, they screwed A.J. Green. He sold a bowl jersey and got suspended for, uh, I think, four games. I mean, mm-hmm. some of this stuff is just so silly. And, they, like I say, they still got the Miami thing going. 
I mean, it's just ridiculous that they would be so stupid. And I said stupid, even though I work with them, I said stupid, that some of these these rules and some of these, uh, like I said, make a decision in a short period of time, especially something like this. Barkley is part of the TNT-CBS in-studio group that works the NCAA basketball tournament. That's why he meant he works with them. This has really been a week of reputation busting by the NCAA. They are really showing the world exactly what they are behind, and that is the almighty dollar. We're going to be back to talk with Maurice Claret and look at Notre Dame after this timeout. Disturbing news in baseball. Former Cincinnati Rookie of the Year and three-time Most Valuable Player Dylan Michael has been charged with possession of a controlled substance and failure to pay federal taxes. Michael, 26, claimed today the medication he was taking was to treat severe back pain and was prescribed by his doctor. He had no comment regarding the tax allegations. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books & Company. And you can also pick up Mark Donahue's book, Last at Bat, here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Just click on the right side of the homepage and order your copy today. Former Ohio State Buckeyes head football coach Jim Trestle still isn't allowed to be on a college football sideline, but... The NCAA doesn't forbid him from stepping into the classroom. Tressel is expanding his role as vice president for student success at the University of Akron, and he'll be teaching a course entitled General Principles of Coaching. Joining him in the classroom will be former Zips head coach Jim Dennison, who gave Tressel his first college coaching gig back in 1974. Tressel won four national titles at Youngstown State before taking over in Columbus in 2001. He was fired from Ohio State amid scandals in 2011, and part of his punishment is a five-year show-cause penalty that essentially bans him from coaching in the NCAA, one that he got, but Chip Kelly and Pete Carroll did not. He's worked as an administrator at Akron U since 2012 and recently joined his 2002 BCS title team for a 10-year championship anniversary celebration. And who is one of the superstars of that team in 2002, let's face it, amid all the troubles, Ohio State could have never won that national championship without a freshman running back from near Youngstown in Maurice Claret. But ever since that year of 2002, Claret fell upon hard times. He's been to prison, he's out, and is now using his celebrity to further his career with his nonprofit agency, which is helping kids. Maurice Claret, recently on Yahoo Sports, looked at his life and explains how he made changes. Uh, I definitely believe it was just the process uh, of self-discovery. Uh, after I was incarcerated, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, everybody knows I was incarcerated, anybody who kind of keeps up with the game of sports. Uh, but after I was incarcerated, I went through a, a, just a period of self-evaluation of how did I get to where I was at, uh, what led me to there? Uh, you know, so what does a responsible life look like? Uh, how am I going to provide for my family? At that time, my daughter was maybe three weeks. Uh, I also seen a lot of pain on the TV uh, that had caused my mother and my family. I started to just, uh, just understand the process of basically manhood. Uh, I just started to explore different avenues or, or different lines of thinking uh, that I never gave energy to before, you know, throughout the process of being incarcerated. I just began to educate myself, like I say, in regards to what character it was, what would I like to do with myself outside of football, 
uh, I began to get an abundance of letters uh, just from fans, from fans around the world who I didn't realize uh, even watched football or cared that deeply about the game of football, how related to the public at large. Uh, and after I see how my behavior not only affected myself, my family, uh, and just people who looked at you for, as a role model, you know, so you start to have a sense of responsibility. And just throughout the process, you know, I mean, being in prison, <clears throat> which I, it, it, there's a lot of guys. I think the, uh, the misconception on guys in prison that is just a lot of uh, crazy, blown out uh, thugs who it's kind of like a society garbage can. There was a lot of guys inside of those institutions who had got their lives together who had uh, kind of like uh, kind of gave me a check and like, yo, look at all of what you're throwing away. But at the same time, like, hey, uh, just in the process of growing as a man, these are some things you've got to take with you. You know, guys who would never see the streets again in the lives or guys who wish they were in an uh, opportunity like I was at that point in time but still told me and encouraged me that I could do more of my life. And just throughout that process, you know, between, uh, from educating myself to just making myself a better individual or a better resource to my family uh, or preparing to be a better resource to my family, uh, I got out in 2010 and things just sort of, uh, I don't want to say unravel, but uh, things began to start there. And? After all that happened to Claret, he feels good about where he is in life right now. I feel just I feel enthusiastic. I feel energized. I feel focused. Uh, I feel like I'm a leader towards a lot of guys, and I, and I think I naturally feel that way based upon the questions I receive from people, uh, be it on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or just being out in public. Uh, whenever I speak anywhere, uh, just the way I receive or the nature of the questions that are asked from me. You know, people realize that in my life in detail, you can get on a computer uh, and you can see kind of what's taking place in someone's lives. And I think when they actually see me uh, compared to what's been on the computer or to what they've heard, it's two different things. Uh, so a person may see a struggle that they may be going through or be it a family member or just be some adverse situation in their lives that they see that I've actually survived or gotten through or got over or I just happen to be a more evolved version of what they would like to be. And uh, when, you, when you receive those questions and, and you're filled in for advice you know, on topics uh, that you know you've overcome, uh, those things make you feel good about yourself and they let you know uh, that you you have grown. And, and just in that process, uh, I'm happy to say, you know, I'm happy to be alive, happy to be enthusiastic, happy to be focused. And, you know, to answer the question, I'm just in a great place. You know I mean? A great place to lead, a great place to teach. Uh, and, and I can actually use my experiences, you know, say experiences that are documented, uh, you know, say widely documented to, to serve as some sort of tool to help others. Recently, Claret said on Twitter, I'm at that point in life where work or the process of being a better individual feels a lot like recreation, doesn't feel like a grind. Like in the movie The Shawshank Redemption, Claret today would like to go back and talk sense into that 18, 19, 20-year-old version that he was back then. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I'll tell you, uh, that was the one thing. Uh, even when I was going through my turmoil at Ohio State, or just even uh, the actual stress and depression that I experienced when I actually left school, uh, my, my biggest thing was, even though there was uh, many people like uh, Coach Trussell, uh just the sort of people who actually wanted to help me, uh, I just never felt that there was nobody I could identify with. Uh, so even though they may gave me the right advice or would, or some advice that would help me move down the right path, so to speak, uh, I just never felt I can identify with these guys. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I'm at a place now, just looking back, I feel like uh, no matter what these young guys are going through, being guys in the street 
Uh, of course, you know, a lot of guys who play the game of football are from uh, demographic, I would say, from uh, backgrounds like myself. Or there's a large group of them. Uh, but I can identify, connect with these guys exactly from uh, the, the social problems that they grow up with, uh, just the ignorance that they may have, the superstitions in their minds, or how the culture governs our or how people like to have the culture dictate on how these guys want to act or need to act. You know what I mean? I understand how to make that connection. And I, it started when I was in prison. I, I, I remember used to talk to this uh, well, one guy in particular by the name of Orlando Payne. And uh, young Orlando, uh, he was as wild as they come. And it was just a sense inside him that he wanted to become a better person. He didn't know how. And it came from basically not having a father in his life, not having any direction, or not having somebody who he identified with or respected enough to believe in. The process of connecting with him, somebody who was so hard, uh, and lead him down the right path and eventually get him on the right track. It's like when I see young guys here, I met uh, Trent Richardson this off season, but you know, so I see a lot of I see a lot of Orlando outside of Trent. These just young guys uh, who have great responsibility, or great influence or power in their communities, but just guys who try to figure it out and manage their lives. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's why sometimes when I hear young guys get in trouble or making a lot of missteps. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of it's structurally based on the system. And the system doesn't allow the regular student athlete to have many experiences outside of the football facilities or the classrooms. And I think when these guys find themselves in situations where they have to make life decisions, uh, for the most part, guys who are athletes don't make decisions and experience consequences because a lot of stuff is like, hey, I mean, we experience the consequences of, hey, if I lift a lot of weights and I stay conditioned in the offseason, I'll be a better athlete for the next season. But, uh, as far as just normal decision making, that doesn't even that dynamic isn't even in a, in a student athlete's uh uh is even in a realm of the thinking on a day to day process, you know what I'm saying? Uh but you know, I am happy at the stage I have what a platform I have, uh just because I get it's cool to get inside these guys' lives, to get inside the heads and I love when you can talk to a guy one on one and they get it, and it clicks, and it makes sense to them, and they continue to come back to you, be it through text message or email, and continue to say, hey, uh, how do I put my foot on this path? And I love to share uh, I love to share this more than all, like uh, for a guy who, who really didn't like going to class uh, early on, I fell in love with books when I was incarcerated, and I found out that, um, you know, a lot of young guys may be like me. Uh, you may not like what you learn in class, but you feel like to educate yourself. And uh, that's what I found out about myself in prison. And it's through just consistent, uh, rigorous, and, and uh, daily reading and daily studying from guys like Andrew Carnegie and Napoleon Hill. Uh, of course, I have my biblical studies every day. Uh, but it's through that process that kind of helps me stay around that and function at a high level. What it sounds like is that while Claret was in prison, he tried to improve himself rather than just fall into the trap of being a repeat offender, which is what the father of Johnny Manziel is afraid that his son may fall into. And when you compare what's going on with Johnny Manziel to what happened to Maurice Claret back in 2003, 4, and 5, Claret says there's no way to prepare for the notoriety that you receive at such a young age. No, I mean, no, no one can duplicate it. Uh, and that's why it's so fascinating. That's why it's fascinating to hear a guy at that age is having that much success. It's kind of like the same thing with LeBron. It's the same thing with anybody. Uh, it, you know, it's entertainment at the end of the day. It's a game, but it's entertainment. And these guys end up in situations or circumstances that uh, supersede or are far more outreached than their character allows them to govern. You know what I mean? I always say this. Uh, the average guy who is talking about a 19-year-old is a responsible adult who has been through those 
uh, trials and tribulations and things that she performed him into being a man. So he's putting his man's mentality on his kid. You know, if you go outside right now, the 18, 19-year-old kid right now, they thinking about chasing some girl around. They're thinking about social media and things of that nature. And, and uh, for a large part, that still may be Johnny Denzel, but he's thrust into a spotlight uh, where he's now a representative of a university, and he may not have the skill set to be mentally uh, to to handle that. You know, what I mean, it's not even to say just some of the things that he's done is wrong. Because I I actually got the question asked last week, and I, I've been so busy in my own life that I haven't even had a chance to see what he's done. But just the essence of just knowing what it feels like to be in that moment or knowing that you may make a misstep but not purposely or uh, intend to make a mistake or something that may is that, that is viewed wrong in the media. Uh, I just know how I feel, you know what I'm saying? But um, at the end of the day, it, 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 all, like I said, all your, all your losses or all, all of your failures, so to speak, or defeats, they just serve as learning tools for later on. You know what I mean? It's just uh, it's ironic that I'm in this place here right now in my life all for my failures, 100% for my failures and things that I didn't do right. But eventually over a period of time, it was like I kept at it in the same drive or the same mentality that I had in football to just make me a better ball player and began to get channeled into being a better individual. And from that, it just, you know, it just puts put me right here. So uh, there was something in this process, or there's something in this process right now with Johnny Manziel that he's going to see uh, that may strengthen him being on the field or being just in another area of his life. And uh, just through the process, you know what I mean, he'll, he'll find out. I mean, you'll, you'll find out who he is. I think he'll be all right. Right now, Claret is working on an ESPN 30 for 30 project. He's got his nonprofit group helping kids. He's also playing professional rugby, which he enjoys. So where will he be in 10 years? Uh, in regards to the nonprofit area, I personally believe that I'll be uh, uh, more of an impact. It's not only in my community, uh, in the state, but just uh, around the country at large. Of course, I'm invited to speak to a lot of places, and it's nothing like connecting with people or having them feel you uh, that you're giving them some sort of information that uh, helps them progress. Uh, in regards to myself playing rugby, uh, I think that I'll uh, have a chance to excel on the rugby field uh, because I do the things necessary uh, at this point in my life right now to put me in a position to have some success. Um, you know, the biggest thing is just uh, it's the thing that I'm working on now is just managing my family life. Of course, just not having a father early on when I was younger uh, and just not knowing everything of what to do. Uh, that seems to be uh, Maurice Claret's challenge right now. Or not, not a challenge, but how do you manage your family life? How do you become a man? Or how do you uh, manage or make this thing manageable still uh, continue to accomplish all of what you will been accomplishing off the field, you know, um, for the most part, you know, I got peace with myself, so, uh, you know, just, just having the peace, the personal peace or the personal ease that mind on a daily basis is cool with me, you know, I mean, everything else just kind of comes, um, you know, I, like I said, I enjoy reading and I can see to do those things to kind of just help create these platforms on themselves, uh, be it to, <laughs> excuse me, uh, be it to do a lot of non-profit work and, I'll be just going around a different university. I'll always keep myself prepared to do things like that uh, and to expound upon them with the team that I have with um, my guy by the name of Nate Ortiz uh, and Corey Gregory. He's another guy who helps me brainstorm and uh, exercise my ideas. But, you know, I mean, for the most part, I see myself a better person. I see myself continue to do more of what I'm doing now. Um, and just become a positive impact, you know what I mean, our leader for the, for the future generation, obviously. There was not a bigger college football star in the year of 2002 than Maurice Claret, and then he fell off of the earth. 
Well, it looks to me like, and hearing what he had to say there, it sounds like Maurice Claret is back on the earth, and he has got his feet firmly planted, and he knows where he wants to take his life. Good for him. Maurice Claret, our guest here tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Well, over the past few weeks, we have been talking about the different conferences around college football because the season is going to begin, actually, next week. August 29th is when the college football season begins all over the country. And tonight, we're going to look at Notre Dame, the major college independent. They're not involved with any type of college football conference affiliation. And last year, they were 12-1. and And, of course, they were 4-1 and against the top 25. And that one loss came to Alabama in the BCS championship game. After a blowout in that title game, Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly discusses getting his team prepared for the 2013 season. We look within more than we do pay attention to others. And for us, it's about consistency in our program. And so the next step for this program is if you win 12 games, now you have to show that you can consistently be amongst the elite teams. So as we build this program, uh, the, the watchword for us is consistency. Tommy Reese will step in as quarterback at Notre Dame after Everett Golson was declared academically ineligible. Reese discusses what it's like to be the starting quarterback heading into the season and playing behind Everett Golson last year. Um, you know, it's great. It's, um, it lets you go out there and play football, play confident. Um, you really don't have to worry about um, you know, someone behind you or competing. Um, it gives me a good opportunity to really you know, step up and lead the offense and be a guy that um, everyone turns to. Uh, I understood my role, and I... Um, you know, was there for Ev every step of the way, and it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of get a different look at the game from a broader perspective, you know, not one on the field. It's a challenge. You want to go in there and, um, you know, get better every single day. You want to go in there and compete and, um, you know, really, you know, make sure you take full, full advantage of the opportunity I was given. Well, with Reese in tow as the quarterback, Brian Kelly says the Fighting Irish are working at only one thing this fall, and that's having their focus on getting back to the BCS title game at this time, winning it. Everything that we've worked on since that next day has been, and I mean the next day, uh, is about getting back to the national championship game and winning it. And so um, there's not a man that sat in this seat um, when we met as as a entire team uh, that is not committed to that end. That's why they're here. Uh, that's why there's such great excitement, um, anticipation. Uh, and from our standpoint as coaches, uh, you know, we can feel that. Uh, so it's, it's pretty clear that our players uh, are committed to one goal, and, and that is to get back to a national championship. Well, according to Kelly, looking back is not in Notre Dame's vocabulary, only looking forward and keeping the season and what's ahead in perspective. I think there's some of that, uh, certainly. Uh, you know, this is a new team. Uh, it's a new collection of personalities. Uh, you can't live in the past. Uh, uh, we want to talk about this year, uh, and uh, what we need to do is, is get prepared. So the second part of that is uh, no distractions. It's all football. Um, don't have to worry about getting to math class. Uh, we don't need to worry about guys off campus. Uh, we're all together, and, and it's 100% being around each other and our football team. So. Uh, both of those things in a combination, um, I think, come together with, with us going off-site. Well, obviously, Notre Dame has got a tough schedule. 
They play Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue. They go down the gamut. They're going to open up the season on NBC, their home network, against Temple. That's August 31st. Now, this will be the last year that they play Michigan, so their schedule will be getting easier. But do I think they can finish 12-0? and No. They're not going to be as good a team as they were last year. I didn't think they were that great a team a year ago. Nonetheless, they made it to the BCS title game. I don't think they're going to make it there this year, but I do think that they will be in a BCS bowl game. Look for the Fighting Irish to go 10-2 and this year and end up somewhere on New Year's Day. So that leads us down to the non-BCS conferences. So which players and coaches should you watch out for in the ACC and non-BCS conferences? We're going to turn to CBS Sports Jeremy Fowler and Adam Azer as they break down some of the best players around the country in non-BCS conferences. This conversation starts with Teddy Bridgewater, and even in the NFL draft in April, the conversation could start with Teddy Bridgewater. He could be a top pick, possibly number one, even over Jadavian Clowney because of the quarterback-hungry NFL league. Bridgewater has a lot of the tools that you want. Um, you know, He's got a great build. He's, a, he's, a, you know, he's physically imposing in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he's got a quick release. A lot of the things you want out of the quarterback spot, and, and he's going to have to carry him at times this year. Um, you know, I wouldn't say their defense, especially in the back end, is, is dominant enough to where they, they, Louisville doesn't have to put up points. You know, he, he's going to get help, too. He's got his top three receivers returning, and they'll have a good stable of running backs. And then I look at NIU. I mean, they had this great run last year into the Orange Bowl and obviously got worked by FSU in that game physically. But Jordan Lynch, the quarterback, is going to put up video game-type numbers again. He's in that style of offense they have. I believe they're top five returning offensive linemen returning. He'll be protected up front. And that's a team, also, we speak of Louisville, but NIU could make a run of 11 or 12 wins next year, starting with Iowa in the season opener. And I expect Lynch to put up huge numbers. They've already started the Heisen campaign at NIU with the Lynch lunch pack. How about on defense, Jeremy? Who are we looking at there? Well, I'll start with the player that, that maybe the, the country, that maybe the best player that the country isn't watching, and that's Khalil Mack from Buffalo. He's just a very active linebacker. Um, he's caught the attention of NFL scouts. Uses his athleticism to, to create tackles for loss. He's got almost 60 tackles for loss in his career, which is outrageous. And then also I look at BYU, another linebacker, Kyle Van Noy. You know, he's just so versatile. He's, he's got a chance to put together sort of a manti Teo season from last year. A lot of interceptions. A lot of forced fumbles, just kind of in the mix on every play. He's the spiritual leader for that defense. Um, he's going to be right in the mix for a lot of those defensive awards at the end of the season. So we're staying outside these Power Five conferences, and tell me the best coach out there. To me, it's clearly Chris Peterson from Boise. I mean, there's no touching his resume and what he's been able to do there. You know, you talk to other coaches, and what they say is how, how impressive and imposing their front uh, defensive and offensive lines are where they don't really get those guys that ready-made in the recruiting process. they got to get those two- and three-star players, and they develop them into those physical forces up front. You know, just as far as player development, Chris Peterson's up there with the best in the country. I agree with Fowler. Boy, when you look at a player like Mac is with Buffalo, of course the first game they're going to play this year is at Ohio State in the horseshoe. That happens on August 31st, next Saturday. Should be a big opportunity for him to make a name for himself of course, Northern Illinois, they've got a lot of people coming back. Chris Peterson, just an outstanding coach at Boise State. Just a lot of things going on in non-BCS conferences. Should be a very interesting college football season, and that's going to begin next Thursday night. And you can stick right around here. We're going to talk about it all season long 
here on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. And in my final moments, I want to bring out what happened at a Cleveland radio station yesterday, 850 ESPN WKNR. It's a station that I think has gone downhill throughout the years. But yesterday they fired four people, T.J. Zuppi, Kenny Rhoda, Will Burge, and Michael Regai. Kenny Rhoda had been there for 21 years. T.J. Zuppi and Will Burge were the Browns and Indians beat reporters. And Michael Regai has really made a name for himself around the Ohio area, both as a newscaster and sportscaster in the Toledo area, but also around here in Cleveland. He also was the Baltimore Orioles play-by-play announcer on TV for several years. Well, all four of them were let go. Now, being in the radio industry like I have been, I've got a pretty good idea of what's going on. The Browns simply joined WKNR and 92.3 The Fan, the CBS local sports station on FM up in Cleveland, and it's costing those two stations money. Now, Craig Carmazan, who is the son of Mel Carmazan, who also runs Sirius Radio and was the former head of uh, CBS, says that these firings are not money-related, but when you look at this on the surface, he's the CEO of Good Karma Broadcasting, which owns the radio station, When you look at this on the surface, they fired those four people, but yet they didn't hire anybody else. This was not a performance-based firing. This was a money-related firing, and that's why they got rid of these people. Now, they continued to employ Aaron Goldhammer between 9 and 1 in the morning on The Really Big Show with Tony Rizzo. Why did they do that? Very simply, it's because his father, who is a big-wig union attorney out in Denver, Colorado, has put a lot of money into WKNR and Good Karma Broadcasting, thus ensuring that Aaron Goldhammer will continue to have a job, which he probably shouldn't. Now, Karmazin has come out and said that 99% of the people that they polled just over six months ago wanted more of Goldhammer. Have you ever heard of 99% of the people in this country agreeing on anything? If you walk up to someone on the street, they would probably tell you that Congress is inept and not 99% of the people agree on that, only 89%. So to sit there and say that 99% of the people want more of Aaron Goldhammer is a strict lie by Craig Karmazin, and I'm sorry to see that he is relating to such tactics. Nonetheless, I feel sorry for those guys. I'd like to be able to talk to Kenny Rhoda. Michael Regai I have uh, tried to be in touch with, and I'm going to try to get in touch with Kenny Rhoda to have them be guests on our show here or on the Monday night show, Ohio Baseball Weekly. Well, I apologize for my voice. Uh, my daughter-in-law coaches a volleyball team, and I was there on Tuesday night, and you talk about an exciting match. Berlin Highland lost to Central Christian here in Central Ohio in the final game, 42-40. to What an outstanding match it was, and I got a little, little excited at that match. So forgive my voice, and we'll be back with you next week and especially on Monday night with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That starts at 9 o'clock where Mark Donahue and I will sit back and talk to you about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Join us then, 9 o'clock, here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. That music signifies that it is time for us to go. We've looked at Notre Dame tonight, talked with Maurice Claret, and talked about the problems in the NFL, and we'll do it all again next Thursday night on our weekly get-together at 7 o'clock here at Ultimate Sports Talk. Our thanks to you for listening and to Greg Mitchell for being our producer. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Thursday night at 7, 
Have a good weekend, everyone, and good night.